0: Well, good morning. Man, it's so good to see all y'all here. I know it's a little chilly and a little wet outside, but I'm so glad that you showed up today. Um, So turn your Bibles, John chapter 15. We're going to actually continue where Wayne left off last week, but I do have a few things I want to mention up at the front. First of all, I always like to embarrass my family when I can. that's like one of the joys of actually having the microphone on stage. There's nothing else they can do, right? Uh, but my parents are here uh, on the front row and they're going to wave to you here in a second. And my grandfather right in the middle there. Um, so I always like to call them out when I can uh, as opportunity. I thought about this too this week. So um, you, you may have been on Fairview like me riding up down the road and you notice Taco Bell is like redoing the building, right? And, uh, and so you may have thought like, hey, we haven't been to Taco Bell in a while. Maybe we should try that out, right? Since they're redoing it. And uh, you show up and you may have to plan a whole day. Like you may need to make that a day, just block off the day if you're going to try out Taco Bell um, for the first time in a while, <laughs> just, just to go ahead and, and plan on that. But um, if you show up and it's not different than what you thought, or it's not just exciting, then you probably don't go back whether they have a new building or not. And here's kind of what I'm excited about, because in, in a few weeks, we're actually going to dedicate or like really groundbreak starting to build our new building, but it's simply a tool. It's a tool for us to get in and be able to worship. We, we don't have to like be so crowded anymore. It's also an opportunity to, to actually continue to grow as this campus continues to grow. Um, and new people are gonna be riding by and seeing that building go up and thinking, what's going on at that campus? What is God doing at that church? Maybe I'll check it out. And if they show up and it feels like same old, same old, they may not come back. So it's an opportunity for us to be the church to our community as we open up that new building. Our church is not a building, right? Our church is a people. In fact, our church is... is Not even even one single building could even represent our church. We're at all different places, but God has called us as a church to reach this community, and I'm excited about that. So February 19th, if you want to put that on your calendar, I don't know the time yet. I'm going to give you some information, but on that day, we'll actually have a groundbreaking celebration, and the excitement for that will be because we're building an opportunity to actually worship the Lord together and possibly even reach more people than we're reaching now. So that's an exciting thing, February 19th. As a reminder too, February 26th, the following week, we're actually going to commission out our Haywood campus. And this is exciting for Harrison Bridge because we have Harrison Bridge people going to Haywood, which is awesome, I've talked to several of you. That is a great thing. There's also people from downtown, there's people from Malden, there's people from Five Forks, and we get to actually commission them here at this campus. So I think that is a wonderful privilege uh, that we all have, so make sure that you're here. I joked with the last service, that uh, it'll be so crowded, we'll just get rid of all the chairs and sit on the floor that day, but um, it's really not gonna be that bad. Um, It'll be awesome. I'm I'm really excited that we have the privilege to do that, um, that God is actually calling this campus to kind of be the primary sender um, of that new campus. So make sure you don't miss that day. Last thing I wanna mention is today, our Five Forks campus goes to three services. And yeah, it's awesome. I would definitely want to praise the Lord for that. And I was a little jealous of that 830 service. I saw a picture this morning. I was like, man, I wish we had some more people in our 830 service like that too. So God's already like filling that room up at 830. What a blessing. Uh, What what a thing worth celebrating. All right. So we started this series a few weeks ago, uh, resolutions resolved uh, to do several things. This idea of thinking that at the beginning of the year, we tend to kind of um, have some different perspective and maybe some even uh, thoughts toward the future and things that we may change in our life. And I don't know if I'd go as far as to say they're selfish, but I think in a, in a way they are, right? They're, they're, they tend to be a little more internal, they tend to be a little more personal. And what we've tried to do through this series is say, okay, let's, let's not be selfish, let's be selfless, and let's see what God may actually want for us in this new year as a people and as a church. What is He resolving in our hearts? And so in week number 1 we talked about resolve to bring people to Jesus. Uh today is going to be resolve to love your neighbor and I know you're like well those are very similar, but that first one was on January 1st, and a lot of y'all weren't here, so it's going to be good, all right, for you to hear some of that too. But truly, they're different because on January 1st, we talked about the importance of leading our friends to the gospel. Today is almost the foundation of that. We're almost going to take a step back and look at the importance of simply loving others around us and loving each other. That's a very important thing for us as a church to walk through. Week two, we talked about Finding our purpose, which is really finding our identity in Christ, who he is, and and that we are his children. And then last week, our lead pastor, Wayne, whom I, I deeply love and respect, and I know you do as well, talked about uh, spending time with God, and he used John chapter 15 as well. That at the end of the day, we, this is a word we'll read today too, and Wayne shared last week, we don't really use the word abide a lot, right? Um, we're not like, you know, my wife abides at my house with me, like, we, that would just be weird, like, you'd be like, what year are we in? I don't know. Um, but, but like it's not a word we use, but the word abide means dwell, right? Or abode. It's this idea of like I'm not going to like spend the night at the Lord's house and I'm going to eat, you know, candy all night and watch movies and stay up late and then I'm going home to my parents the next day. It's like we're going to dwell in the presence of the Lord. I'm bringing my toothbrush, I'm bringing my pillow, my CPAP, whatever I need <laughs> to live here. Like this, this is where I am dwelling is in the presence of the Lord I want to abide in him and be in his presence all the time not just a part of the time not just Sundays not not just maybe mornings but that my life would be found dwelling and abiding in him and he says that that relationship then is evident of our faith or evidence of our faith because we find our life and we find the joy in our life in being connected and abiding to the Father. So today, really launching into resolve to love your neighbor in, in continuing in these verses, I think is important because that starts with us abiding in Him. It starts with us beginning with that relationship and then out of that relationship flowing into the other parts of our lives. Now, I started thinking about friendship and how all of us, we want friends and friends my mind always goes musically when I, when I hear phrases or things, and um, the first thing that actually came to my mind uh, was, thank you for being a friend, traveled around the world and back again. Some of the older people in here, like, I get that, right? People my age and up. That's who I'm calling older now, it's me. Um, I had a guy tell me that this week, said something, something about a guy that was a mentor of his that was older, and I was like, how old was he? He was my age. So I was like, all right, good. I'm older. Um, but I watched that show with my grandmother, Golden Girls, uh, growing up. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. But we tend to think about friends being important in our lives, right? Like, y- you all want friends. Like, nobody doesn't want friends. And we all want to be loved. We, we all want to feel that sense of love by other people, and we all want to be loved. And yet, we live in a culture where we are so hyper-connected, and yet, we are also isolated at the same time that especially the generation that's coming behind us is feeling so isolated and so alone, and yet in their pocket, they can pull out a device as you and I can too, and text somebody across the world in Dubai if you wanted to, and they'll receive it immediately. And yet we also, even though we have this connectivity, are feeling isolated and alone. And and there's a lot of reasons for this. If you think back in the day, right? I mean, uh, even before my time, to make me sound younger now, that I've always already said I'm older, people would have front porches, right? And you'd have the the rocking chairs or the swings on the front porch and you would just go hang out on the front porch and the neighborhood would walk by and you would communicate or even across the street, maybe yell at the neighbor and have a conversation with them because people lived on the front porch. That community was out front. Whereas today, it's a backyard thing, right? Like my my front porch, if I put a rocking chair on my front porch, the rocking chair would simultaneously hit the brick and the pole in front of me. Like, (laughs) It would not be a fun experience. Um, I'd have to turn it sideways, and I still don't even know if that would work. And that would be really awkward if you just saw somebody rocking sideways on their front porch. (laughs) I'd start to worry about that guy, right? Um, But at the end of the day, like, that's what we've done. We, We have actually traded this front porch be in the community mentality to now we have the backyard with the fire pit and the smoker, but only the people we've invited are allowed back here. And so we've isolated ourselves and we've isolated the world around us. I, I listened to this TED talk I thought was super interesting a while back, a guy named Johan Hari, and he's, he actually talked about addiction. And, and typically the way that we think about addiction, um, which is not necessarily wrong, there's some scientific evidence that shows, you know, you you uh, take some, like a drug or something like that, and your body does kind of start creating a dependency on it, and there's this chemical hook or chemical reaction that keeps you coming back. And What he actually found, though, that the opposite of addiction was actually connection. That the people who were connected in communities were far easier, far more able to overcome those addictions in their life than the people who were without communities because isolation creates a problem. He said this, the average number of close friends in the U.S. since the 50s has been steadily decreasing while the floor space of their homes has increased significantly. That's something worth thinking about, right? That we actually have a house to to be able to host more people, but we don't even have those people anymore. because, Because we've isolated ourselves. And this is true of our culture. Now why I think this is worth addressing today is because you and I have to recognize that as the church, if we are to love the world around us, if we're to love even one another, we also have to recognize that God is calling us to leave those large floor space houses and start loving on other people, to live in a world where people feel isolated and and discouraged and depressed. And and to be honest with you, I think the church is known very well for pointing our fingers at people, aren't we? Like, and I'll tell you why I know this, all right? Because I'm a chaplain with the sheriff's office and almost immediately when the deputy starts hanging out with me and he starts to talk, he'll, or she, they'll start apologizing for their language to me, right? And I'm like, I mean, I didn't judge you for your language, right? Or like, if you want to be around one day when I'm talking to somebody and then I tell them that I'm a pastor, that's an interesting thing. If you haven't been around that, right? Because their whole physical appearance changes. They're like one person, like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. Oh, hello. You know, it's like. It's like they literally put on a suit in their mind, you know, they're like dressed up, like they comb their hair a little better. Like, oh, hey, how are you, Pastor? You're like, man, like the world itself sees the church as a judgmental body that is trying to point our fingers at them. Now, I think our church does a really great job at loving people. I would not say we're perfect, but I think we're the best church and I know we're not supposed to compare but we, we're the best, like we know that, and, and so. But we do a good job. But we can always be better at loving others because the world sees the church in in America, especially as a judgmental body that's pointing fingers. Now, even these disciples that Jesus is talking to here, two of them, one of them wrote this book. John and James were known as the sons of thunder, and you're like, well, that sounds pretty cool. It sounds like they were, uh, you know, some WWF wrestlers or something, and tag teaming it up, but. The reason they were called sons of thunder is because they actually asked God to rain down fire on a Samaritan town right like they were just like destroy that place Lord (laughs) like they were the sons of thunder who were pointing their fingers at people and Jesus has to remind them that empathy is actually one of the largest needs of Christ followers we have to realize that empathy is an important part of who we are now I, I think it's easy for us to to look at somebody who's politically different than us, or dresses different than us, or acts different than us, and start thinking, well, I don't understand them, so I don't like them. But Jesus is actually calling us to something greater than that. We're quick to judge. What if we were quick to love? What if we were so quick to love that that the world felt comfortable around us? Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit, because I think the truth, God's truth, will convict them. And truth in love is how He asks us to do it. But Man, we should, we should begin with love. Now Jesus is speaking to the disciples. As I mentioned, this is the upper room discourse. He's already sent Judas out. So these are the 11 disciples who still aren't quite understanding what's happening, right? They're still, still not quite getting the fact that this is actually the last supper that they're going to have with Jesus. And so it's not quite on their minds fully yet, the, the full uh, gospel. But in John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 8, it says this, <coughs> This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You do not choose me, I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you these things i command to you so that you will love one another man simply put if i had to kind of simplify this passage i would say that out of god's love for us we learn to love others i'd even say it this way the manner and frequency at which we love others is evidence that we understand god's love for us The way and how often we love the world that we live in, especially believers, as we lift up and encourage one another is actually evidence of what God has actually done for us that we understand it. So we've all seen like the church curmudgeon, right? Who's just like always, you know, complaining and got his arms crossed and just got, you know, got to find something wrong with everything and um, complain about everything. And I start to wonder, like, does this guy, has he ever experienced and tasted grace in his life? If you have truly experienced the love of Christ in your life, if if you have ever walked down that road and just been so, realized you're so sinful and that nothing we do could ever measure up uh, or ever be good enough for us to have a relationship with God, and yet He gives His Son for us and pours upon us grace and mercy and love through the cross. If you've ever experienced that kind of love, there is no way that you can walk around with your arms crossed scowling at everybody. Now, I'm saying you can have a bad day, okay? I, I have... Like six days out of the week are probably bad days for me. <laughs> but like, you can have a bad day. But man, at the end of the day, the love of Christ has to so dwell in our hearts and we abide in his presence that it literally flows out of us in the way that we live. That, that living in his presence, the manner and frequency in which we love others, is evidence that we know God's love himself. So the first thing I want to point out here is that the Father is the source The Father is the source. Now I think this is really great. Verse 9 could be a sermon series in and of itself. But listen to this. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Let Let me just break this down for a second. So the Father has loved me. This is Jesus speaking. That the immeasurable amount of love that you and I can't even fathom that a member of the trinity the father would have for another member of the trinity the son a, a, a love that is so great and so incredible because he is god and he is love and he is capable of loving at the utmost jesus says that same measure in which the father loves me i have for you all right so you you today you're like i just i'm not good enough i i, I don't know if i'm if i'm living up This thing like I should live it. I I don't know if God could truly love me if you knew what I did. And I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, I love you in the same measure that God the Father loves God the Son. Can we just wrap our brains around that for a second? That He is the source ultimately of this love. And He loves us. And so He says, abide in my love dwell in my love live in that love why are you walking around so discouraged and why are you walking around just just with a chip on your shoulder abide in my love the measurable amount and if we really just said okay i'm going to start writing down the ways that god loves me the way that he can love me the way that he's proven his love to me and we just kept going until we drew our last breath we would still only be scratching the surface We would still barely just be touching that idea. And Jesus says, I have that same amount of love for you. The Father is the source. Even out of our good works, even the way that we live is driven and impelled by that abiding love. That life that comes out of us is is not because we're trying to earn goodness. We don't do good things to try and earn God's love we simply follow him and obey because of who he is and what he's done for us now I've heard uh, love is spelled O-B-E-Y right that's what I've heard and growing up in a in a um, relatively legalistic environment that was that was tough for me in my early Christian days because for me I, I wanted to earn that love right like I wanted to make sure I did the right things I was reading my Bible enough or I was praying enough or I was, you know, doing the right things, going to church enough, or I was surrendering enough so that God would love me because I knew that if I obeyed, then maybe God would love me if I obeyed the right way. And and the problem with that thinking is that we can sometimes miss the point that that's not the the right order that those things get put in. Now, my kids every now and then I'll say, will you clean your room? And they'll be like, well, I don't really want to clean my room. And I'll say, well, if you love me, you'll obey me. Anybody been there? I guess the parents out there If you love me you'll obey me well I don't want to do if you love me you'll obey me right and it's not because they clean their room that I love them they're my children that's why I love them but they recognize that we have a relationship and that's why they want to obey me because the love already exists and so when he says here That um, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. He's not saying you need to earn affection with God. What he's saying is because you are abiding in his love, because you are living in his presence and you are dwelling in the love of God, we will obey and keep his commandments. We want to be motivated by the love and joy that he's put into our hearts. I think it's interesting he jumps right to joy these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full joy is the pursuit of knowing and expressing the love of God so that we gain a deeper understanding of those who love us and why joy goes beyond circumstance right happiness is maybe fleeting or temporary joy goes beyond that this is maybe a, a not great illustration but I, I've already used it twice so going to use it again uh, I went, and When I went to college, I had two roommates my sophomore year. I really signed up to be in the room with one guy, and then they threw a third guy in there. And Really nice guy, don't get me wrong, um, but he worked at Reebok the summer before and had the smelliest feet, like you could imagine, all right? And he had like 12 pairs of shoes since he worked at Reebok, and so all, like you could see a green cloud coming out of his closet, like on a daily basis, all right? And he had this towel, and it was a tiger towel. Now, I'm not making any assumptions here. He was Canadian, but... The tiger towel that he never washed, okay? And so that towel also smelled interesting. And my roommate Josh would spray it down with Febreze like almost on a daily basis. And I don't even know if, if David knew that he did that, right? But we would come into our room and if it was a day like today where it was freezing cold and rainy outside, we would open the window and just have to deal because we were like, we would rather freeze and be able to breathe in this room. Like it was that bad. But the reality is in the midst of all that, Guess who became my best friend? Josh, right? Because we'd walk back to that room and be like, we both hate this guy, who's <laughs> like, our roommate. We can't stand him. Hate's hey, a strong word, I know, okay. Yeah, I'm using it in, in a hyperbole way like Dallas used to do. At the end of the day, like, we, we just didn't like the fact that when we walked in our room, we had to hold our nose when we went to sleep, okay? And maybe that's why I have sleep apnea today. I don't know, like, I trained myself <laughs> to not breathe while I was sleeping with this guy as my roommate. <laughs> But me and josh became such good friends we still talk to this day it bonded us right because misery loves company in a way but there is a relationship that actually formed through that adversity this is this is what joy is he's saying the joy that you have in your life is that when you walk through adversity you are abiding in the presence of god you are a friend of god and so when that challenge comes you're like jesus isn't this crazy that i'm dealing with this right now right Because you're walking through it with Him. It actually brings you closer. It brings you stronger together. That joy is something far beyond a temporary thing. He says, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Let me just say as a side note, you may be like, Pat, I don't know, life's going pretty great for me right now. Like I I can tell you with experience, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. God is preparing you now to prepare your heart to abide so much in His presence That when that day comes, when you face an opportunity or a challenge in your life, you are prepared to abide in His presence and to find joy in Him completely. Because it will come. It will happen in your life. The second thing is that Jesus is our example, or Jesus is the example. In verse 13, greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I don't think the disciples quite fully understood that what Jesus is literally telling them is I am about to give my life for you sacrificial love is what Jesus models for us sacrificial love to truly know who your friends are all you have to do is tell them you're moving and see who shows up to help right that's sacrificial love some of y'all are going to doubt that I love you because I won't be there I don't like to help people move (laughs) You'll be like, I, Pat said, he's not our—he's not our friend now, right? But like, truly, that self-sacrifice is what matters, and. Even in a marriage is this way, right? Because if, if you're like, well, I'm bringing 50%, she's bringing 50%, and we're just going to make that 100 work together, then your marriage will not survive. Each person has to bring 100% and say, when I'm walking into this marriage, I'm laying myself down, I no longer am who I used to be, now we are one together, right? I'm bringing 100%, she's bringing 100%, and that's the only way a marriage works. It's self-sacrificing. Jesus has modeled for us what that love should be. And others will see and know the depth of your love by the amount sacrificed. Another thing I thought was interesting as I read this is he said greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. His friends. Don't you think that should say enemies? Isn't there a part of you that's like, well, yeah you may lay your life down for your friend but no greater love should be like laying your life down for your enemy and so i started to think about that i know even romans 5 6 through 8 is where i think our minds can go is in this area where we've heard this for for while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die but god shows us his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think we're even reminded and taught that while we were enemies of God, Jesus showed us that love. And so what does he mean here? I think what we have to realize is that he's speaking to the disciples. And what he's saying is that the ultimate love that somebody can give to a friend is to give up their life. It's better than moving. It's better than showing up with a truck at your house on moving day. Ultimately, the best way that a friend can love another friend is by giving their life. And what he doesn't, what they don't realize is that he's about to do that exactly for them. So I think we would be remiss and missing or thinking there's some complication here in Scripture. There's not. What he's saying is that the greater was not the object of love, but rather the price in which he was giving it for his friends. Now the other thing I think is interesting, and we talked about this a second ago, you are my friends, in verse 14, if you do what I command you. I think it would be easy for us to, to get into the mindset of feeling like I mentioned earlier in the sense of I've got to earn God's love by doing the right things so that maybe He will love me, so that maybe that will happen. And what he's, not, what he's saying is, is that if doesn't mean that the relationship doesn't exist without the works. What he's saying is the works happen because of the relationship. So if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a friend of God, he says, you will do what I command you to. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And what about even just being a friend of God in general, right? Like that's just an interesting way to look at a relationship with God is to be a friend of God, that he wants to know us in such a way that we would be friends, And our God is the literal definition of love. I know y'all have been to weddings and heard, love is patient, it's kind, not envious, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant or rude, not forceful, irritable, resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it never ends. True love is done without personal gain. Why you're like, man, I don't know, Like uh, I'm, I'm jealous of the fact that she's talking to somebody else. It's because you're in that relationship for yourself. If you truly saf- sacrifice yourself to somebody else and say, I love you no matter what, and you represent the love that Christ has offered us, it looks like a one-way love the way that God loves us. Now, John Piper said this is asymmetrical, right? The love that God has for us is is not something we could ever reciprocate for. It's not something we could ever love Him back even close to equally the amount for. So it almost looks like a one-way love to say Jesus gave His life for us. There's nothing I could do that could even compare to that. Even if I give my own life, it's still a minuscule, just sharing in His sufferings portion of what He's already done for us in the entire world. So for us, true love is done without personal gain he mentioned servants some of your versions may even say slaves that he says you know no longer do i call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing but i've called you friends man if you have a servant you have somebody that works for you you don't need to explain to them why you need something done you just want them to get it done but he's saying i'm calling you friends i'm telling you why this is important i'm giving you not just the command to obey, but I'm also saying, man, I love you. You're my friend. Let me tell you why this matters to you. And you cannot truly know love until you know Jesus. And I know that to be true because God is love. Now, I know some great husbands and and wives and fathers, mothers, people, bosses. Um, I know some great friends out there that don't know Jesus and certainly they do love, but they can never fully understand the depth of love if they don't know Jesus, because he is love. And the last thing is that our fruit is love. The fruit of how we live is love. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command to you so that you will love one another. Just a couple of chapters back, John 13, he says, A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I could have said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, because you built the best-looking building out there, right? Like, because... Y'all all dress up and look good on Sunday morning, right? Because you showed up when it was rainy and cold. That's how people will know that you love me. Or man, you gave everything that you had in your bank account this week. That's how people know that you love me. No, he says, people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So how important is it for us to actually think of the people around us that maybe feel isolated, maybe feel distant, and we ourselves have been so maybe internalized focused because we're walking through our own thing, and yet God is saying, hey, we are walking through this together. We as a church should start to love one another in such a way that the rest of the world actually takes note of that that you should so love that neighbor next to you that you cannot stand or that person across the room from you, whatever the case is, that you should so express love to them in such a way that they actually notice the Christ that's within your heart. That's what the church is about. That's what Jesus is about. And what a precious reminder to us this morning that Jesus loves me. You cannot be a Christian and hate your neighbor. He's called us to love our neighbors. He's called us to express the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That the world around us would be able to understand His love because of the way that we have expressed it to them. I'm not saying you can't have a bad day. Like I said, I have bad days too. It, It also means sometimes you may need to go up to somebody that may not even be a believer and say, I'm sorry that I acted the way I did. That is not the kind of person that I want to portray because I want to be like the Savior who's loved me first. And I just want to let you know, I apologize for that. It takes humility to love people. It takes humility to start putting other people in front of our own needs, especially if we don't agree with them, especially if we don't like them. But Jesus says, people will know that we are disciples by our love for him, Maybe you're here today and you're like, I, you know what, I, I truly have thought of religion as a thing that I had to do somehow to please God. And I never truly understand that there's a grace that is offered here that I can just embrace and follow. And that changes my whole outlook on life. Let me tell you, today is the day to, to make that decision to follow him. Today is the day for you to say, I'm ready to, to follow and understand the love that you're talking about. And maybe you're here like me and you're like, I needed this. I need to be reminded of the fact that other people are going to see Jesus in the way that I act and the way that I love the community and the world around me. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful that in all reality you love us with such an immeasurable amount of love that we could not even scratch the surface if we spent every ounce of our life on this earth just trying to recount the ways that you love us. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to give His life, to spill His blood, to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so this morning, we don't take that lightly. We know that you've called us in a world to also speak truth, but to do that in a way that loves other people. And God, you loved us too much to leave us right where we were. So God, teach us to be your people. Teach us what it means To love the world around us so that it points them to you. Put that person on our heart. Even now, Father, I pray for every person in this room that you would put that person on our heart. Maybe somebody we've been praying for. Maybe somebody we have been already reaching out to. But somebody we know that's distant from you and doesn't know your love. That has never truly experienced just the grace and the mercy that you offer us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of us running from you and being your enemies, you have expressed us love in the midst of that. Father, I pray that you would bring that person to our minds even now and allow us to even leave this place that, Father, you would tender our hearts on how we can express this love toward them. God, we love you and I am so incredibly thankful for this morning and the opportunity to worship you and I pray as we leave, we continue to do so and glorify you.